I am so excited to be back again. Uh, thank you very much. This is your last week of having to put up with me. So for those of you who are liking Chris and wondering when he'll be back regularly, this is the last week you have to endure. Um, and I see a lot of people are on vacation still, so that's not a lot of problem, is it? Um, I had a great week in New Jersey. I stayed all week. I know I bumped into a few of you here in town, and you were a little bit confused. You're like, I thought you were a guest and that you were going home, you know, and... Um, and I'm like, no, surprise, I'm here all week, and, you know, kind of like a bad show. So um, I, I did, I had a great time, I hung out here in Summit, got to hang out with uh, the staff and uh, talk about uh, your guys' church and where you're at and where you're going, and it's so cool and encouraging, and even the series that you're doing that's coming up with Satisfaction and talking about the satisfaction of God, that's going to be incredible. I told you also that I'm an experienced junkie, like I got to fill in all the experiences I can when there's new opportunities. So I did that all week. Like I, you know, sampled around some of your greatest restaurants here in town. Um, uh, some of you guys fact-checked me after the sermon last week, which I really appreciated that. Um, but, you know, sent me some emails. That was cool. And then um, Craig, he wanted to fact-check whether I really could run and was an Ironman. So he invited me running just to see if I had the stuff. I showed up for that. That was great. Um, I got to do that out at the reservation, uh, reservoir. I'm not sure what you call it. It was some funky name. And then um, I went to New York and I took in the Met. I had to go running in Central Park. Um, I, you know, went out to Long Island. I saw the shore. I went to Brooklyn and stayed the night. Um, and then I did something that I'm not sure if you are or aren't supposed to do. I can tell you I had a uh, predisposition about this. I got up one morning. I'm like, I want to go running in Brooklyn. And so I put on my running shoes and my running shorts. And I thought I was in downtown Brooklyn. I thought I was heading out the door. I get a little bit disoriented when I get off the subway, like exactly where I am I and which direction is north. And um, so I got out. I thought I was heading north and west towards the city across the bridge, going to do Manhattan. I ran south and east. Uh, for six miles in what it seemed like the wrong direction. Um, it was a cultural experience. I got to hang out in the park by the brownstones, playing, uh, watching speed chess and trash talking. I didn't know all those went together, but it was great. Um, and then yesterday I was in Times Square. I took in the Broadway show uh, Spider-Man with my kid. And then I also, to top it off, I took my picture with the naked cowboy. So, you know, it's been a full week. <laughs> Um, I'm not joking. You can check my Twitter account. Uh, so this is where we've been. We've been in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. We've been talking about this idea of worship, and the guys have done a great job. This, seriously, this video is genius, just that idea that um, you can learn to worship God and learn about God through singing songs. But Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you can open up there. It still is okay to bring your Bibles to church. They're allowed here. So if you have them, open up there. That's where we're going to camp out in Romans. Verse 1, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we've been talking about worship. The first week, we talked about um, 
worship in view of God's mercy, that everything hinges on God's mercy, that it's because of Jesus Christ and the mercy that God gave us through him that we're able to have a relationship with him, that we're no longer tied down and overwhelmed with the Old Testament law, the old relationship with God, the, the, law, of, uh, the law and the systems and the practices of the temple and the rituals and the sacrifices. We we looked at all of that and said, in view of God's mercy, we're now able to worship and relate with God in a new paradigm because of Jesus Christ. Um, and that everything begins and hinges on mercy in, when it comes to worship. Last week, we talked about worship is what we do to acknowledge God's grace. This idea that it begins with mercy and that in response to God's mercy, worship is... Um, what we do to say thank you. It's us saying to God, we recognize what you've done for us and out of that flows our worship. So this week we're going to uh, go a little bit further in Romans chapter verse two, uh, chapter 12, verse 2. So let's, let's pray as we begin this study. God, today, as we talk about um, the renewing of our minds, as we study further what it means to worship, we uh, invite you uh, to challenge us. We invite you to shape our minds, um, to open our hearts, to help us to process what you have to say to us, um, to not immediately become defensive, but to remain available uh, for you. So we ask that your spirit would move in a powerful way, that you would um, help us to see what you see and to think what you think. And that we would, uh, in response, worship you with our whole lives. We'll lift this up in your son's name. Amen. I want, to, um, I want to put out a proposition for us to talk through this morning. And it's this. Based on the scripture, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pro- proposition is this, that our minds are a battlefield. I want to talk about this idea that our minds are a battlefield, and want to try to answer these questions, like why is the mind so important? Um, what does the mind have to do with our worship? And how is the mind a battlefield? Uh, I like to search the internet because, as we all know, it's such a trustworthy and reliable source of information. Um, and so sometimes when I'm processing new ideas and new thought process. Uh, uh, ways of looking at things. I go to the internet and I just, you know, what does the internet have to say? Isn't that what we should all do? So I did that. I, I, I came across this very profound video as we're talking about the mind being a b- battlefield. And so I want to share, I want to start with sharing this video with you today. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> I guess I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. I'm calling the studio, Matthew. You're not shooting today. No. Movies bring so much joy. Stop. It's done. Just get some rest. Diva. He bought it. How can I handle work on a day like today? One of the worst performances of my career, and he never doubted it for a second. Hi, can I get my CRV brought up, please? I've got a lot to do today. Roderick. Roderick. You have excellent taste in automobiles. Life is packed with things you have to do. But sometimes you gotta live a little. Calm yourself, woman. Matthew, you poor thing. You sound awful. 
could I resist? Look, I don't know what to tell you. He's sick. Actors get sick sometimes. Thanks. Have a good night. Said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Get going in the all-new CRV from Honda. <laughs> I'm easily influenced. Uh, great commercial. How many of it did, did take you back to that epic film? Come on, are you any in my generation? Okay, a few of you. If not, this is holiday uh, uh, homework. You need to go watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If you have not seen this film, I'm not even sure as a pastor I'm supposed to recommend this film. I can't remember, but it's, it was epic. You know, ditching school, going out on a great day with your friend and your girlfriend and crazy car and all kinds of experiences. I mean, he has a line in that commercial that I think it must be my life motto, you know, like there's all these things you have to do, but sometimes you just have to live a little. That was kind of, you know, I was doing work this week and also trying to take in New York as much as I could. But when I see a commercial like that, for me, it, it reminds me very subtly and sometimes usually much later that I, I am easily influenced. Like, there are forces vying for my attention. And some of them are commercials. Like, you know, some of, some of the commercials aren't so sly. You see them on TV, and they're not funny, and nor are they interesting, or they're not a product that you would be uh, apt to buy in any way, shape, or form at all. But you're like, ah, it's a commercial. And then there's other things that you see on TV like that. They just kind of suck you in emotionally, and they got a great song or soundtrack with them or an actor that you like or an experience that it brings you back to, like this epic movie. And you're drawn in and then you're being influenced subtly by, you know, it's a CRV. And now will I can, you know, contemplate buying a CRV because Matthew Broderick drives one and look how much fun he has in all of his days getting around. And, you know, so there's this influence that's trying to happen. And it's not just in commercials like this week, you know, it certainly happened again. Like there's political parties vying for our attention and our mental capacity in our minds. You know, whether it's the Republican National Convention and their crazy chair, or it's the Democratic Convention and, you know, all of their commercials and different things that they have going on. Like, there's political parties that are weighing in, trying to get my attention and trying to get my views and my vote and, and my money or whatever else is going on. When we go to school, there's education process that happens. And hopefully it's from a a factual, a historical perspective. But, you know, I really have come to believe and agree that no matter where you weigh in, that there's almost always an agenda that comes with education. I love history. I love to read historical biographies and um, historical events and uh, historical timepieces. And one of the requirements is it has to be interesting. It can't just be history, but it has to be well-written. And I'm always fascinated if I find two or three or four books on the same person or the same event, that you can read about a, a factual historical event, something that should be more like newsworthy, like here's what happened. But because you have a great author and they have a perspective and then they've been doing their own research that you get these different point of views. And sometimes those point of views come with an agenda and that agenda is shaping what I, you know, what I'm going to think about this thing that happened in the past. There is a battle that's being waged for my mind. Um, in Romans... Um, it says this. Now, last week I said to you, I'm, I'm not a huge, deep scholar when it comes to the Bible. What I tend to do is I read the scripture I'm studying. I 
reread it if necessary. I read the verses before it. I read the verses after it. And then I try to read the broader context. So in that same kind of thinking, Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to go. If you're in your Bibles, back up a little bit. But the Bible says this about our minds being a battlefield. Now hang with this verse. It gets kind of, it's one of those tongue twisters. I think Dr. Seuss wrote it, not Paul. Um, Romans chapter 7, verse 14, it says this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Sounds like Seuss, huh? And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I, what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. Here it is. Waging war against the law of my mind. Paul points out there's a battle going on. And it's, I'm wrestling. There's God's law. There's this sinful nature. It makes me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a battle going on. And it's sometimes subtle and it's sometimes really overt. And Paul paints this picture. It's a waging of a war and I want to do good. And there's my sinful nature. And the sinful nature could easily be described as, I've grown up in this culture. I've grown up in this mindset. I've grown up with these influences. I've grown up with these parents and this educational background and this political party's views and all of this stuff. It's waging war. And then there's God's view. There's God's perspective. So what do we do? I want to talk about this idea of divorcing our beliefs from ourselves. Divorcing our beliefs from ourselves. See, I have a belief. We'll just take one belief that I have. We ha- I have beliefs about generosity. I have a whole lot of beliefs, and some of them are kind of crazy, and some of them are pretty rational and sane. But we'll just take what I believe about generosity. Should I be generous with strangers? Should I be generous with the poor? Should I be generous with foreigners? Should I be generous with my kids? Should I be generous with the homeless men? There's all kinds of different perspectives on generosity. But should I be generous with my own personal money? Should I, do I think that the government should be generous with all of our tax dollars? What, what do I think about generosity? That's my belief. Now, I hold this belief, and to me, it's very personal. Like It's been influenced and shaped over a long period of time, hopefully by the Bible, but by a whole lot of other things in my life. It's mine. I believe it. And because I believe it, it's mine, and it's been you know, nurtured for so long, it's very, very personal. And I have a whole lot of emotion attached to this particular belief. I want to talk about this idea of divorcing ourselves from our personal beliefs for a minute. I got to show you um, this again. Um, I, my wife sometimes 
questions my choice of things I watch on the internet. And I did some more research. I just was fascinated. I get fascinated by some intellectual conversations. This video I'm about to show you, I promise, is slightly deeper than the video I showed you before. Uh, Prepare your minds. Try to pay attention and capture every single word that this lady has to say. Hey, everyone. When you learn rationality or critical thinking, usually what you learn is a set of cognitive biases, logical fallacies, um, sometimes structures of argument. Um, So you're learning about the anchoring effect, the focusing illusion, the sunk cost fallacy. You're learning how to recognize uh, an ad hominem attack or a non sequitur. Um, And that's great. Her degree costs more than mine. I'm just saying that right now. Like, I don't know where she went to college, but I'm sure it was better than the college I went to. I didn't understand all of this. I promise she's going to make a great point, but I had to pause for just a moment to let you know I didn't understand this first part, but she's getting somewhere good. So we're going to back up. Listen to her one more time. She's going to make two really great points. Go ahead. Hey, everyone. When you learn rationality or critical thinking, usually what you learn is a set of cognitive biases, logical fallacies, um, sometimes structures of argument. Um, So you're learning about the anchoring effect, the focusing illusion, the sunk cost fallacy. You're learning how to recognize uh, an ad hominem attack or a non sequitur. Um, And that's great, uh, but it's it's not useful at all in terms of making you a more rational person unless you accompany that with a genuine desire to know the truth about the world, um, to have an accurate model of how things really work. Um, And unless you want that more than you want to cling to a particular belief that you happen to like or be emotionally invested in, um, unless you want that more than you want to win a particular argument with a particular person. Okay, first point she makes. We're going to watch one more video of her, and then I promise we'll be done. Kind of crazy, uh, you know, psychological, intellectual, argumentative person. You know, I like it, but you might not like it. She makes this great point. She says, there's all these things I don't understand. And then she says something about beliefs that's pretty profound. She said, we hold personal beliefs and they're emotional. And we have to ask ourselves, do we want to hold on to our beliefs so that we can win somebody over, we can win an argument so that we can be right, or so we can just be justified in these beliefs? Or do we want to know the truth? Do we want to hold our beliefs or do we want to know the truth? And you can't always hold your personal beliefs and hold on to the truth. That's her first point. Here's her second point. It's It's, coming up. It's not useful at all in terms of making you a more rational person unless you accompany that with a genuine desire to know the truth about the world, um, to have an accurate model of how things really work. Um, And unless you want that more than you want to cling to a particular belief that you happen to like or be emotionally invested in, um, unless you want that more than you want to win a particular argument with a particular person, Um, So it's always kind of disappointed me that this sort of fundamental skill of rationality, which is the disposition to be rational, uh, the desire to have the truth, um, isn't discussed more when people are talking about and teaching rationality. Um, That said, it it is difficult. Uh, It's especially difficult when you're in a debate with someone. So not only do you have like an attachment to your particular point of view, but you're in this situation that feels sort of like a battle and so your defenses are up. Um, and so over the years, I've developed a few techniques that I've personally found useful in um, helping get myself in the mindset of, of reminding myself of, of what's actually true, which is that I, I want to have true beliefs overall much more than I want to win this particular argument with this particular person. 
So I'm going to share a few of these techniques with you in hopes that you will also find them useful. Um, the first is called divorce your belief from yourself. It's a visualization where essentially I picture the belief that I'm defending in that particular debate as existing sort of a few feet away from my body. So when the person I'm talking to attacks it, I can sort of picture the attack being directed at this thing that's not me. So it doesn't feel like a personal attack and I can kind of evaluate more objectively um, how the belief stands up to that particular attack. Okay, done with, done with crazy videos. First point she makes is, do you want to know the truth or do you want to hold on to your personal beliefs? The second point that she tries to bring out is when, when uh, we have personal beliefs, it's really hard to seek the truth. And it might be easier if we could take our personal beliefs and we could set them on a table at some distance from us and look at them from all different angles. Now, she's a rationalist, so she's trying to find truth through the most logical, rational, intellectual, best argument sort of perspective. Now, as a follower of Christ and somebody who believes that there's an ultimate truth and it's going to be found in God's word and it's going to be guided by his spirit, I'm going to look, at, look for truth slightly differently than she's going to look for truth. But the reality remains the same is that I have personal beliefs. And if I can detach from them just for a moment and not become so defensive, then I can allow God to speak into them. Here's the challenge is that we sometimes when we're looking at the Bible, we get defensive with God when God wants to speak to us. God, we're reading God's word and he might have something to say to me about my generosity and I'm reading some scriptures and he talks to me and through his scriptures and he talks about the widows and the orphans. And I'm saying, you know, God, I don't know if I agree with you. You know, if I was Thomas Jefferson, I would probably just strike that particular passage out and go on, you know, reformat the Bible the way that I want it to be. But that's not how it works. And so when I have a viewpoint and I find myself defensive, I think that that's a place where I can go, okay, God, I read your word and I'm defensive. Maybe this is a great time for me to take my personal belief, set it on the table, try to come back to it a little bit removed from it and go, God, what do you really have to say? Because God is asking us in worship to transform our minds. And the mind that he's trying to help us to transform into is his mind. It says it this. So Romans chapter 12 is our main scripture. We're in seven. Here's eight. Romans chapter eight says it this way in verse five. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. There's that defensive position. God, I hold a position. You're trying to speak to me. And my mind is hostile to your mind because this is my belief. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so, my mind. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, whoever, you however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So, here's the question. Can we take our personal beliefs, these positions where maybe we're battling with God, and can we put them into a neutral place, call a truce with God, so to speak, and invite God to speak into them? Can we say to God, God, you know, I read your scripture and I'm having a hard time with this. I'm going to try to set this out here. God, will you speak into this? God is trying to show us 
from his perspective, uh, that we've grown up in this world and with its positions. God wants to bring us into the kingdom way of thinking. So we've grown up here in this culture with these influences, and God is trying to take us someplace else. And it's counterintuitive. Our personal preferences, experiences, and our sin rule our heart, our actions, and our minds. God calls us to let our minds be renewed by him. This verse calls it a transformation of our minds. Having a biblical mindset is controversial. I'm just letting you know that right now. Like It's straight up controversial to try to get our minds to be renewed and regenerated and transformed to be in God's mindset, to be a God's way of thinking. I, I think I can prove how controversial this is with just one logo. Just one corporate logo. I think I can show you this corporate logo, and I think that I can prove my point that like, to look at something from God's perspective or to be open to a biblical perspective, it creates controversy. Now, I'm not going to take a position on this logo. I, I don't even know that I have one for certain, but I, I'm letting you know that I'm not weighing in one side or the other. I'm not taking a political perspective from this logo. Like, I'm not going to tell you uh, which political party I camp out in. I don't know how easily I camp out in either, but like, I'm not sharing with you a political perspective based on this controversy. I don't know that for certain that like, I really have a stance on this, but I do know for certain that if I show you this logo, it will evoke emotion into you, in you. In fact, I told Chris this week, I said, heads up, um, I'm going to show a logo in church. And he's like, all right, whatever. And I'm like, it's going to create controversy. And I said, I think you're going to get a few emails. You're going to get one person that leaves church and never wants to come back. And you're going to know a whole lot of people that might say to you, hey, don't bring Ryan back ever again. He's a crazy guest speaker guy, okay? So this has nothing to do with Chris. I'm just warning you right now. I know this seems like a lot of setup. It's one logo. Are you ready? Here's the controversial logo. All right, that's it. That's all I can take. One logo. I mean, if you don't think that the biblical perspective and people weighing in on a, you know, a logo and vying for your mind and your position and your attitude and your thought process and your political nature and all that stuff is going on, like, just read Scripture. Like, if, if that logo doesn't do it for you. Like, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Go back and read the Beatitudes. Read about the, like, you know, Christ's way of teaching and then put that in context into our culture and go, like, what Jesus is teaching and what the world is, those, those don't make sense. It doesn't translate into our culture. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Like, for me, this is like, <laughs> I, I swear, like, Jesus, you know, had this scripture written just for me. Because it's so difficult 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Like, I get caught up on love is patient, love is kind. Like, I can't even keep reading. I'm tripped up right there. You know, I go into the city. I'm in Times Square. It's Saturday. It's busy. It's full of tourists just like me. And I love is patient. Love is, ah, I don't know if I can be kind. You know, it's like, you guys are stinky and sweaty and smelly and all around me, you know. And like, everybody's in a hurry and pushing and shoving. And trying to have a biblical perspective in this culture is like, really difficult. And then to live that out and let have God have control of my mind, it's challenging. It's super challenging. And that, yet that's what worship is. And so the application of this is to let the truth shape our reality. This is worship. To let God's truth shape our reality is worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God's truth shape your mind. God has created us for something different. Uh, We have grown up with the mindset of the world, and the world is not transacting on God's paradigm. My worship hinges on mercy. I offer my whole self in reply, as we've talked about. But the battlefield for my life is played out in my mind. There's a war that's being waged for my allegiance, my devotion, my attention. The mind is governed by flesh. The mind governed by flesh cannot please God. It cannot worship God. So it has to be an intentional effort on our part to renew and to regenerate our minds with God's mind. So what does this mean for me? How is this practical? Like, how do I put this into my life? Here's three things, really quickly, that I find challenging. I have to be intentional every day with my thoughts. There's too many other influences to avoid this truth. Like, I personally have to be intentional with my thoughts. Whether it's commercials, whether it's conversations, whether it's our culture or politics or personal preferences or distractions. Like there's too many things coming at my mind to not be intentional if I'm going to renew my mind to be like God. I have to be purposeful with my mental rebirth. I won't get there any other way. Left on my own, sometimes I'm intellectually lazy. That I I won't intentionally and purposefully seek out my rebirth of my mind. Like I have to Go about this in a purposeful way. Otherwise, I, I'm, I'm hopeless. And I know I also have to be disciplined with my intake. That the scriptures uh, can renew my mind and the word of God gives me life. It's not easy, you know, confessional. It's not easy for me to be disciplined to pursue God's word. Like, I mean, it's great. You know, you get a little scripture update in my email inbox and I might get a little Facebook, you know, note from somebody or, you know, Pinterest picture with God's word on it. Like those those are quick and fun and interesting and encouraging pieces of God's word. But to really pursue God intellectually and to have my mind transform and to be regenerated, it it's some discipline. It's some discipline to dig into his word. It's some discipline to study. It's some discipline to not go just one verse, but to go multiple verses or to read a couple of chapters and really take my personal beliefs and set them on the table and go, God, speak into that. Show me, teach me, change me. Worship is a continuous pursuit. It's not a momentary event. We're covering that over and over and over and over again. And it comes down to my mind. It's not this momentary event where my mind chooses to worship God. But it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing discipline. It's purposeful. It's intentional. And there's a battle being waged for my mind. Right now, we're going to go into a few moments of uh, reflection. I just ask that you, like, close your eyes. Bow your heads for a second. Um, let's pray together. And then I know the guys have some more thoughts on, on all different angles of worship that they want to share. God, shape us. Challenge us. Infuse us with your spirit to regenerate, to transform, to have your mindset. 
God, speak to us through your word. Give us the power of your spirit. And we reflect on you now. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down, come on, brothers, let's go I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. The challenge for all of us is to live our lives in this continuous pursuit understanding that worship is daily. Understanding that every day when we wake up, in view of God's mercy, in view of who God truly is, in view of what God has done for us, in view of God's love for us, in view of God's grace, in view of God, we live Every day. Every day. And that's where the renewing of our mind comes from. The renewing of our mind comes from viewing God. Every day. When we wake up in the morning, when we feel like it and when we don't. When we wake up in the morning and we want to, in those days where we don't. When we, when we wake up in the morning and we feel like God's close to us 
And when we wake up in the morning and he feels so distant. When we wake up in the morning and we are just overwhelmed with life. And when we wake up in the morning and it feels like life can't get any better. We worship God. You see, that's worship. It's this continuous pursuit of deepening our relationship with God. It's it's why uh, at the beginning of the service, I gave a simple challenge of grabbing these invite cards, not just the one on your seat, but a stack of them, and inviting people. It's not because our creative team, uh, they were just so incredibly bored that they decided to, to, to develop these amazing invite cards. It's because we wanted to give you, including myself, an incredible tool. Why? Because worship is helping connect people to relationship with God. That's worship. So that all people can view his mercy on their lives. And you see, when we wake up in the morning and realize that that day, we have an opportunity to help people connect into a relationship with God. When we wake up in the morning and we realize that God's mercy is not only for us to grab onto, but for all people to experience when we wake up in the morning and our eyes focus first on God and then others and we're last? Oh, what happens within you? You see, I'm excited about knowing the stories that will change because you actually invited someone. I'm excited to hear those stories, but I'm more excited to know what happens within you when God uses you to be his voice in his hands. When God uses you to help connect people with him so that they can experience his mercy also. I'm excited to know what happens inside of you. And that's why, that's why. So as you leave here today, don't just take the one on your seat. Take an incredible stack of them. We got plenty. And wake up tomorrow morning and say, okay, God, today, In view of your mercy, who are you going to bring across my path? Okay, God, today, how do you want to use me to connect people with you? It's your true and proper worship. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together on this Labor Day weekend. Lord, I just pray that we'll continually pursue you in our act of worship to you. Lord, I pray for the conversations that are going to be had. And and I know that your spirit will be ahead of us in all ways. That, Lord, we can be a church that you have called us to be to help connect people with you. In your name I pray, amen.